Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And And this this is The Science of Motherhood. Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode nine of the podcast. My name is Dr. Renee White. Thank you for joining us today. Now, this is a very impromptu, fast-tracked episode that I wanted to record very quickly. As you may all know, we are located in Melbourne, Australia. We are currently in our fourth lockdown and it has been extended out um, as of last week. We're into our second week now. I came across the lovely Dr. Siobhan Kennedy Costantini on Instagram. She is the director of Science Minded. And I was just loving her posts around child play and how you use that as a coping mechanism, and particularly in COVID. Um, Siobhan is a mother, a researcher, and quote unquote, bloody passionate about advocating for parents so they feel more capable and confident. I just love that. Um, Siobhan has a PhD in child developmental psychology and has spent the last 10 plus years working closely with infants and families to understand all she can about children's social and cognitive development. And you can absolutely see that in our interview. She is just a wealth of knowledge and it was so interesting chatting with Siobhan because as she was talking about different um, examples of play and how to cope when your child um, is having a bit of a meltdown or, you know, understanding the changes and unpredictability of COVID, my mind was racing and I just kept thinking, yes, oh my God, yes, that's exactly what's happening in our house right now. And you'll see me and probably hear me um, have those light bulb moments and that, oh my goodness, that's exactly what my daughter is doing right now to cope with the COVID lockdown phenomenon. So, As I said, I have fast-tracked this episode because I think it'll be really, really valuable for mums out there who are homeschooling, mums who have had their babes in lockdown, um, and just to give you a snapshot and a few tools and tactics around what you can do to cope in these situations because I tell you what, it is all about just coping and surviving. And I will add that Siobhan has some amazing resources on her website, Science Minded, including fact packs um, around social and cognitive development um, in children. 
So without further ado, here is Siobhan. Hello, Dr. Siobhan Kennedy Constantini. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, how are you? Good, good. Thank you so much. Now, for all those listening at home, this is a very impromptu episode. I contacted Siobhan, uh, what was it, probably four days ago. Um, Melbourne is in its fourth lockdown and Siobhan caught my eye because she is the director of Science Minded. She is a scientist and advocate for parents and families because she has got a PhD in child developmental psychology. And I selfishly reached out to her because I'm having a really hard time with my toddler. I don't think I'm alone. And in this lockdown, there is so much uncertainty. We have lost you know, our rights essentially to so many things that we're just so used to doing, going out to like the pub for dinner and going on holidays and um, all of those lovely, lovely things. And as I said, Siobhan caught my eye via Instagram because she is a huge advocate for play for children to express their emotions and be able to deal with situations. And so I wanted to sit down with you and have a chat about that. Do you want to start back at the beginning? How did you get into child developmental psychology? Yeah, um, I'll give you a, a, a quick start because it's a long and convoluted, um, convoluted story as usual. Um, but um, my mum's a speech, a paediatric speech pathologist. So I grew up um, with kids. So she had a home practice. Kids would come in and out and we'd talk about their various um, language skills. And a lot of the time that would come with um, psychological uh, concerns. So whether or not they had ADHD or um, dyslexia or autism, these kinds of things. And I was super curious as a child and teenager about all of these things. Um, so I decided to do that for uni, uh, very much with the, um, with the kind of idea in mind to be a practicing psychologist. Um, and then I just got bit by the bug of research um, and was fascinated. So I decided to do my PhD. Um, I stuck with what I, what I loved, which is kind of child development um, but I was really drawn to babies and the um, parents' experience of newborn life. So um, my PhD, I worked with babies um, one to three weeks, up three weeks old. So I had the little, little ones, um, had all of the fun of playing with them and then handing them back, getting a full night's sleep. Um, <laughs> so had a very pleasant crash course in interacting with children and then obviously had the more um, rough version with my own child. Um, and then for the last uh, five or six years, I've uh, been working in academia, doing um, research, working with families, um, very much looking at the um, parental-child relationship and how that kind of fosters child social and emotional development. Um, and then I recently had my own little one. He's just about to turn 18 months old. Um, so I've taken a bit of a step back from, well, both the pandemic forced a step back. Universities don't have as much funding and therefore the jobs just aren't there. Um, but also running my own science communication business uh, has been able to um, let me kind of really feel this passion about sharing um, these research findings with parents in a really tangible and helpful way. Um, and also lets me stay at home and get all the cuddles in. 
So it's a, it's a beautiful marriage of all the lovely things. <laughs> that that sounds like a similar story to Mika and myself. You know, you kind of – I think when people look at us and go, oh, what kind of steered you into, you know, postpartum life? And there's nothing like a pandemic to make you sit back and realise – you know, the important stuff in life. Um, and for us, it's looking after mums because I feel like we've got the raw end of the deal for quite some time now. So, um, yeah, yeah, we're just, channel, as you say, channeling those passions into, you know, what you're going to move forward with. I'm curious to know, so you spent a lot of time in research, particularly with infants, what, what, did you learn from that and how how did that influence your parenting life in the past 18 months? Yeah, that's such a good question. So um, I started working with mums and newborns when I was about 20, so I had no idea about anything. I remember mums telling me, oh, it's so great, I got four hours sleep last night and my jaw just would fall to the floor and like, (laughs) how could you possibly celebrate that? That's awful. Um, I now recognise how, like, when you've got a total new one, how special that is. Um, but I think, so I, I worked with moms and newborns for about 10 years. Um, and so over that time, I really got a, an acute understanding of no one has any control. Um, they are the, the, they're in the driver's seat, the baby, and you just have to go with the flow. Um, and I think it was really driven home because I had lots of parents who uh, very strictly tried to put their baby on a schedule. Um, and some babies followed that schedule, others that really put a strict schedule, the babies went, that no. Um, other parents who just went with the flow and the babies developed their own schedule and then other babies who um, parents went with the flow and the babies went with the flow. So I learned very quickly it's baby-driven, that we can impose our own um, rules on it and if it matches our rules, then it's just a lucky coincidence and not much to do with us. Um, not to say that we can't uh, influence things, but just really trying to expect the unexpected that you have to be flexible and responsive. And that's pretty much the two things you need to try and do. Be flexible, be responsive to your baby's cues, and the rest of it will happen how it happens. God, where were you four years ago when I was about to have a kid? (laughs) So much easier said than done. Um, I had a really rough first year, um, and I knew all these things intellectually, but putting them into practice is so much harder when you're sleep deprived and just desperately wanting some kind of relief yeah exactly it it is it's so funny that's so so true you've hit the nail on the head you knew intellectually um what it was all about but then until you are in the thick of it like no one can prepare you for that miracle only four hours sleep you know, yeah. night. Yeah. It's it's absolutely extraordinary. Um, yeah, the more mothers I talk to, the more <laughs> we realise that it's about letting go um, yeah. and accepting that you just, you know, your baby is a human being. Um, Very inconvenient. Yes, true. yes. Um, that's probably one of, like my number one advice that I give in our prenatal sessions with our mummers is uh, – Every day is a new day and you can try a new thing and if it works, great. And if it doesn't work, don't worry. 
tomorrow is a new day. Um, absolutely. And what works yesterday isn't going to work tomorrow. And it might, it might not. And yep. you just have to, I mean, basically you need to become a Buddhist. Yeah. You just need to, <laughs> I think I should have converted to Buddhism before I had my child. Yes. Uh, just Top three things to do before you have a baby. Convert to Buddhism. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I love it. I love it, Siobhan. This is great. Um, And look, we're going to cut straight to the chase, which is, you know, the reason why I got you on the podcast. We're talking about COVID. We're talking about the psychology, particularly with children and, you know, I guess the the effects of these lockdowns and, and, you know, I don't want to say a playbook, but, you know, some tips and tactics that parents can use to kind of get themselves through through these times. We don't know how long we're going to be in lockdown again. I really hope it's not a repeat of 2020 um, because I've already said in a podcast before I want a refund on 2020. Um, I just have cancelled that year completely. So I guess, you know, the, the the topical things that we're seeing with children are, you know, Children thrive with routine. That's gone. Uh, We've got to develop a whole new routine. Um, You know, there's a loss of contact with loved ones or that that time has kind of really changed. It's now FaceTime instead of, you know, face-to-face contact. They've lost the ability to play with their friends regularly. That's one of the number one things um, my daughter kind of, you know, is quite sad about. When am I going to see you know, this friend, when am I going to see that friend? Um, And the unpredictability of life, you know, we think we're coming out of this lockdown and then it doesn't happen. So, you know, for example, we were actually at the airport ready to fly to Sydney the day everything was kind of, you know, (laughs) imploding here in Melbourne and the bags were on the aeroplane we were in the airport lounge we were having some afternoon tea and then we looked at the tv and sydney said no and so it was such a horrible feeling having to tell my daughter i'm really sorry we're gonna have to go home and understandably she burst into tears it was just a complete and utter meltdown And we had to say to her, you know, we've got to go. And she was just, the whole time she just kept saying to me, which breaks my heart, but we were so close, mum, but we were so close. And, you know, having those discussions with her about why we couldn't go, you know, they've closed the gates, we can't go anymore. And the after effects of that were four to five days continuously after that event, she had extreme meltdowns daily and in the moment it was just like for example pulling the plug in the bath and she would just erupt and it would just it would just was like you know you know it's those meltdowns where you just sympathize with them you can tell it's got nothing to do with the bath being drawn it's everything to do with that processing of the event and so I guess I would love your input on 
how do we deal with these situations with our kids? How do we have that discussion with this whole unpredictability and the change and the virus and whatever they you're calling it in your house, the cough or something like that? What's the best way to kind of assist our children through these lockdown periods? Yeah, I mean, my heart goes out to you. That sounds really, really rough um, for you guys, let alone a small child. I did shed quite a few tears as well. Of course you did. Like, I mean, not, and it's, it's not the holiday. I mean, it is the holiday, but it's all of the hope and excitement and yeah. all the plans that are tied up in the holiday. And obviously you guys feel that really strongly and then she does as well. And part of the difficulty is that she doesn't have a complex understanding or the language to fully grasp all of the nuances of how and why this is happening. And obviously you think about how devastating that was for you, it's that for her as well, plus confusion. Like, but we were going to, even if she has an understanding of the pandemic, but there's so many practical details of, but why did they close the gates? And well, we don't have the virus, so why aren't we allowed to go? Mm -hmm. And even if you explain it, explain all those levels of intricacy there's just a, a degree to which they can't understand which is why it has to be processed over time um, in these kinds of meltdown ways which is heartbreaking as a parent to have to witness and as you say knowing that you can't really do anything about it um, and it's not about the plug it's about it, if it wasn't the pulling the bathtub plug it would have been something else it's yeah. just the vehicle for her to express these emotions um, and really uh, in with those kinds of things all the only advice I could really offer is to have grace and compassion for your child and for yourself that there is no fixing it um, everyone in Melbourne and across the world is really feeling the weight of these lockdowns even if we understand that they might be in our best interest for safety that doesn't mean there aren't consequences and um, terrible feelings associated with the loneliness and isolation um, and disappointment. But just remembering, like you said earlier, that our, that our children are human beings um, and that they're expressing and experiencing their emotions in the way they know how, which is often a meltdown because they don't have the language to process it. They don't have the, the depth and nuances of understanding to um, sit back and binge to Netflix to try and distract themselves so yeah. they're, they're doing the best they can just like we are yeah absolutely yeah it's such a it's such a hard thing to deal with um but yeah we just kind of I don't know I I we took the view of you know you just have to create space for them you know and absolutely. reassured her that you know she was very safe. I mean, it's it's tricky when they're in yeah. a bath because I was like, I need to pull the bath water because I don't want something to happen with the water and you and everything. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, my I think, um, you know, I'm the primary caregiver and my husband was obviously there at the time and he was looking at me as if to say, okay, ha ha how are we going to deal with this? Um yeah. I'm a huge fan of Dan Siegel and he's kind of um, for all yeah. those people yeah. listening, Dan Siegel um, 
He's child psychologist. Yeah, yes, right. I think he's um, like an MD and psychology yeah. background. Um, and he's written a wonderful book called The Whole Brain Child. And I remember right. reading that and like having so many aha moments of like, oh, I get that now. Okay, that's yeah. great. Um, yeah, he kind of goes into the kind of really breaks it down. I'm a scientist by trade, but, you know, it's Absolutely. it's still nice to kind of yeah. have – I'm not a scientist Absolutely. of I mean, that's, psychology. That's so. your background, necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it really talks about, um, yeah, the neuroscience of, of children. So I've just actually – perfect timing. I've just written a post um, about tantrums. Um, so on I did a guest post with Conscious Confident Parenting. Um, so she did a how to handle tantrums on my page and I did a, the neuroscience of tantrums on her page. So just as a – a quick little um, summary. Basically, kids don't have the um, executive function, which is, so executive function is all of the stuff that lets us process and do things in a kind of mature adult way. So when someone cuts us off at the lights, instead of, I mean, not everyone does this, but instead of rolling down the window and screaming at them, we go, take a deep breath, calm down. Yeah. Um, or if someone says something rude to us, instead of rolling back in your face, pay hey, F you, we go, hey, they're just maybe having a bad day. Take yeah. a take a breather. So kids, the area of their brain, the prefrontal cortex, isn't developed yet. It doesn't really, it's not fully developed until the early 20s. Um, so that's the area that allows them to, the little voice that says, hey, maybe take it down a notch. Hey, maybe that's not an appropriate reaction. So instead, a lot of their um, reactions are fueled by what we call the limbic system, which is a, a more primitive part of our brain. So it's the amygdala, which is the area that is fueled by um, intense emotions, so anger and fear, um, and then the um, hypothalamus, which kind of is what tells your brain and body to react to those fear, anger, emotions. So um, the way it's been described is think of um, a tantrum as a boiling pot and then our prefrontal cortex as the lid. But our kids don't have a lid or if they do, it's a pretty ineffective lid. So the water boils over really easily. Um, whereas in adults, we have a lid that kind of keeps everything under control most of the time. So it's often, and particularly like you said in meltdown, it's nothing you can do. It's a, a biological, physical reaction to an intense experience. So it's a lot more about giving them space to feel their feelings, um, not waiting it out, but so much as like just allowing them safe space um, safe physically and safe to express those feelings and then afterwards talking through what they might have been going through because language also happens in the prefrontal cortex that's where we process a lot of our language so when they are erupting they can't talk through so a lot of the time I mean I don't know if you've experienced this but when they're in the middle of a meltdown you might say what's wrong what are you feeling what's going on and they just are capable of responding and that's because their brain has been hijacked by these intense emotions. They can't do it because that part of their brain is offline right now. They have to wait until they calm down. And that's when we give them a cuddle and say, hey, what is going on? Do you know why you felt that way? Do you know, was it because of this? Was it because of that? And so it's like, after when things have calmed down a bit, we can start to process things with them. Okay, so for all those playing home, I just had to run because I'm obviously uh, doing this podcast from home. We've just completely changed up play. So 
that is how we are functioning at the moment um, and that's how we're surviving <laughs> and trying to thrive that's all what we're about here at fill your cup so we uh, talk about nurturing mamas from surviving to thriving. At the moment, I'm trying to nurture my toddler from surviving to thriving. So as part of this, and this is one of the reasons, as I said, I love Siobhan and all your content on Instagram, which is kind of all around play. And it's not just, you know, it's not about just education, but I noticed one of your posts said, you know, when kids come home from a rough day, they don't say, hey, can I talk to you about it? They say, hey, do you, can you play with me? And I've definitely noticed there's an up level of that in our house. And given that we are restricted to the confines of these four walls in our house, we are just changing stuff up at the moment. So for breakfast, we had a picnic style breakfast out in the lounge room on the coffee table it was still the same food, but it was just a different scenery. Um, and, you know, this is not a chalkboard system of like, I'm a better parent than you or whatever, but this is how we are surviving. If we have fish and chips, I put <laughs> I put on the TV, I go to YouTube and I find a really kind of tranquil beach scene that doesn't change. It's just the waves crashing in at the beach. We're at the beach eating fish and chips. Um, you know, we get dumplings and I'm like, okay, let's find something where we're in like Japan or something like that. That's how we're surviving. So I just got summoned from my child who she's on the iPad because that's how we're surviving. But she set up a cubby in the cupboard and she just wanted to let me know that she needed an extra pillow in the cubby fort. So <laughs> I guess, you know, what are your tips for play? Have you got any other recommendations that I can add to I my mean, list? <laughs> yeah, first off, that is a, yeah, that's exactly it. Um, yeah, play is so important. It's how children process things. So um, children don't have the sophisticated language um, to talk about their feelings. It's just it's something they have to develop. Mm -hmm. um, and the, all the research shows that language is how, um, sorry, how humans process their thoughts and their feelings. So um, the research very much shows that these broad uh, and more complex um, ideas like emotions or even half the things we're dealing with the pandemic, they're complex, nuanced um, ideas and they require language for us to really knuckle down and, and isolate the specifics of how we think about things and how we feel about things. And kids just don't have that level of language sophistication. So they have to use other mechanisms. Uh, and their, their main form of communication, their main form of thinking and, and doing is play. And that's by design. Um, play is how they learn to move their bodies. It's how they learn to think, how they learn to talk. Um, there's a reason that we've evolved through play. Um, and the uh, tips that you were talking about just now are perfect. Like Gold Star, mixing it up, um, like we said earlier, that... Uh, Early motherhood or early parenting is all about being flexible and responsive. And that's completely the case with play as well. So finding ways to be um, flexible, finding ways to add excitement when you are in lockdown, when you are stuck around four wall, um, the four walls of your house. Um, and it might be just little things. So that, as you said, the breakfast was the same that you always have. It just might be, it was on this table instead of that table. Mm. But 
even for you, I imagine it created a sense of excitement. Yeah. Um, so it, it, it's just creating fun ways. So it, it's about um, making play part of your routine. So because children are having a more difficult time, I mean, adults are having a more difficult time, we're all really struggling through this um, pandemic, finding ways to make play more routine. So whether or not that's setting aside 10, an extra 10 or 15 minutes a day where it's active playtime, phone is away, um, distractions away, it's one-on-one or one-on-two, how many kids you have, we're just going to have fun and be playful. Um, Meal times are a perfect way to do that. Everyone has to eat. So whether it's um, my sister was adding drops of blue food colouring to her kids' breakfast, it takes two seconds to add a drop of blue food colouring, but blue blue cereal, that's pretty cool. That's, yeah. pretty, that's pretty fun. Um, I've used so, that for the baths before. Absolutely. We've had pink baths, which like yes. we went through a stage where she just wouldn't go in the bath. <laughs> What's going on? And then I was yeah. like there's a pink bath upstairs and she was just enamored by it she was like oh yeah. my goodness how did you do that exactly you become a magician yeah and there's, there's some, and like um i've had another great thing of like putting lego in the bath so just upending the jar of lego i'm not jar box of lego um into the bath just finding ways to take the ordinary and make it extraordinary just yep. little tweaks here and there um and getting creative with it yeah, absolutely. That just reminded me. So when we were at the airport um, going to Sydney and, you know, it was all cancelled, She one of the other things she was most excited about was that the hotel that we were going to had a swimming pool. And, um, you know, I said to her on the way home, let's turn our house into a hotel. We don't have a pool, but let's turn our house into a, into a hotel. And so, you know, I was, I was the butler bringing the room service Mm -hmm. and, um, Mm -hmm. you know, just little things like that for dinner, because we knew that it was just going to be like an absolute downhill event from there. Um, but yeah, just little, as you say, little things. And like, it was, you say it was fun for me as well. Like, you know, I'm a bit of a bit of an actress at home, and happy to have a sing along and dance and stuff like that. Um, only in closed doors. I will not do that in public. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably going a bit too far. <laughs> yeah. But actually, the, the hotel and the butler idea that you bring up is a perfect another way that you can bring um, play into it. So a really important and great uh, play technique is called power reversals. And this is hugely important in the lockdown when there's a loss of control for our children as well as for ourselves. So it's the idea that, I mean, during COVID, kids are unsure. They're confused. They're scared. They don't know. They don't have the routine that they're used to. So they don't know what's going on. So one way that we can use play to give them back a bit of sense of control, um, a bit more a sense of ownership and power in a situation of uncertainty is to do these kind of power reversal games. So that's exactly what you did with being the butler. She was being waited on. She had the control. She asked for something, you went and got it. Um, other things that you can do that are really great are um, there's like a playing pillow pillow fights, but um, instead of doing it for real, you your kid touches you with the pillow and you fall about. Um, and um, even things like letting them feed you. So, oh, no, my arms don't work. I can't eat. So making them do the feeding, giving them the control. And it's probably going to get a bit silly and a bit fun. 
and maybe you'll end up with a French fry in your ear. But that's all, <laughs> that's all part of it. Or um, whether or not they become in charge, so follow the leader kinds of games where you have to do what they say. Um, so just letting them have a bit of control and um, ownership over a situation. And um, there's, so, there's so many examples, like whether or not their game is like no giggling, they have to try and make you laugh and you're not allowed to laugh or vice versa. Um, just really giving them that control of, of their environment, of their situation. So that's a really interesting point because we have a nanny that comes once a week to help out and particularly in the lockdown periods, she has always said to us, like, I'll come home and she'll be like, I'll be like, how was your day? She'll be like, oh, we've been playing mums and babies the whole day. I've had to be the baby. Eva is the mum. And I was like, oh, okay then. Like, you know, I just kind of think, you know, it's just a game they're playing. But that's really interesting. So that's a coping mechanism to for them yeah. to kind of go, okay, I've completely lost control of like my routine and everything. I'm going to play a game where I'm in charge and what you say goes. Yep, exactly. And <sighs> kids also do this really cool thing where they often use play as a way to rewrite a situation. Yes. So if there's been um, an unpleasant situation or something turned out how they didn't like, they retell that story. So whether or not, like, for example, they went to the doctor to get their immunizations um, and it was sad and scary and maybe they cried, they might then play doctors the next day and they're the doctor giving the shots and instead of crying, they might rewrite the script, change the ending. So turns out they were really brave and they got a sticker and a lollipop and it was no big deal. They were brave and strong and they managed. But they, that, in that example, they're using it to process their feelings, mm. uh, using it to process going, I reacted this way, but that's okay. And next time I'm going to do it in this situation. Yeah. We have that a lot, but and yeah. I don't know whether it's um, – now I'm asking for your professional opinion. Yeah. <laughs> she does a lot of um, uh, retelling – with she says oh eva's babies and so she Mm. refers to her babies in the event not specifically her sometimes so like you know oh eva's babies um did this this and this and then they cried but they're okay now because i gave them a big Mm. cuddle and i was Mm -hmm. like okay and the, the way she tells it is you know it was her who is Eva's babies and how yeah. she reacts is how either myself or my husband has reacted mm. in that situation. Mm-hmm. So that's another example or or, yeah, is, or should we be worried that she's no, talking about no. herself as something? No, all, all, all children talk about themselves in the third person. I, <laughs> I remember even, so I have a sister who's four years younger than me, which isn't that much of an age difference, but I remember constantly she would, as a small child, say, oh, no, no, back when I was the, the grown-up and you were the small baby. And so it's it's just, I mean, children don't have a great sense of time, but it's a sense of recreating those roles and retelling those stories where they can take charge of it and really be in control of the narrative. Mm. Oh, children are just uh, such curious, like, beings. And, you know, I I kind of really pity people who just have children and kind of, are very dismissive of their feelings. I just find that they are absolutely fascinating um, human beings because I feel like they're, you know, they're untarnished and so they're so raw 
And, um, you know, as adults, we've kind of had that fun kind of yeah. bubble popped. Well, <laughs> totally. And I mean, I think for us, it's, we're used to it. We've, we've seen a beautiful leaf thousands and thousands of times. But when we see it through our child's eye, we go, wow, actually, those colors are really beautiful. Yeah. But it's just, we're so used to it, which is the beauty of one of the beauties of having children, right? You get to, it through their eyes again and everything becomes exciting yeah and I one thing that I have reminded myself through motherhood and dealing with um you know the highs and the lows is that I kind of look at her and I, I say to myself she's only been on this planet for three and a half years like three and a half years you know and I, I I've had some instances where people are kind of reactive towards her behavior and oh you know why is she doing that or or like don't be silly or you know very dismissive and I'm you know my instant reaction is obviously to protect her from that because Mm. they're not silly um, emotions or you know she's not being scared she's legitimately expressing you know how she's feeling and Mm. and my response always to them is reminding them you know she's only been on this earth for three and a half years she doesn't know She's still figuring it out. Yeah. We're still figuring it out. Can you imagine? She's, yeah. She's practicing. Like, you yeah. know, she's not an expert at this. Yeah, exactly. Those feelings are real to her. Absolutely. Yeah, that's all oh, so, so, so great, Siobhan. Thanks for kind of breaking that down for me. I'm going to switch gears a minute. So we're going to go mm-hmm. from toddlers to infants because I know that's kind of your um, area of interest as well, particularly with your research. And we were touching on this before we kind of started the interview, but there's a few things that I wanted to ask you about. One was around, um, masks and mask wearing because we all know that particularly infants do a lot of um, learning through visual cues and that kind of facial recognition and and, and things like that. What's your opinion or do have you seen any research, you know, from however many years ago or even recently that would kind of inform us possibly about if there's going to be any effects on infants, you know, with people around them always wearing masks? Or do you think that... It is a case of, okay, well, you know, once we move out of the non-masking wearing that things will kind of catch up in terms of development or do they need that kind of facial recognition development now and we're probably having detrimental effects at all? Could you kind of touch on that? Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, A lot of the research that's specific to the pandemic hasn't been done. As, as you know, research takes several years to get going. Yeah. But there are a few um, studies that we can kind of refer to that might be able to inform our understanding. Um, so there was a study done in uh, 1982 by Bushnell. Um, so in their study, they just covered the mouth and um, looked at five-week-old's um, expression understanding or how, how they kind of process parents' facial expressions. And they found that even with the mouth-covered babies, um, still recognize their parents as long as their parents were expressive. So specifically using the eyes and eyebrows um, to express um, their emotions. And when it comes to emotion understanding, um, we have what's called the um, triangle um, of facial expression. So the eyes, the nose and the mouth create this inverted triangle with the point of the triangle being our mouth. Um, 
So the eyes are one of the key features and probably the most important feature when it comes to um, recognizing emotions. So obviously having all of the features is ideal. Um, of undoubtedly, if there were no masks, that is better <laughs> for our children to process, uh, particularly infants to process faces. Um, but facial processing starts within the first few hours of life. Um, so they did this study, I think it was in Singapore or Malaysia, must have been in the 70s. We definitely would not have gotten approval, ethics approval for it nowadays. Okay. Um, but they basically um, got one group of mums who um, interacted with their baby normally immediately after birth. Uh, the other group of mums um, uh, were asked not to speak uh, in their baby's presence for an hour after birth. Oh. Yes. It would, would not fly nowadays. No. Um, but... The findings are really interesting and inform our understanding of how children process. So um, as you would know, babies can hear our voices when they're um, in, still inside our wombs. When, they're, when we're pregnant with them, they can hear our, hear our voices and recognise our voices. So this study, we were able to determine that the way that babies recognise their mum and dad's faces so quickly after birth is they seem to match their voices to their face. Ah. So they come out, they can recognise this voice, um, and then they go, hey, that face belongs to this voice. So babies are really, really rapid face processes, and they seem to have this preference for this triangle shape where there's more information at the top, less information at the bottom. Um, and basically with that study uh, with the mums uh, who didn't talk, they found that those babies did recognise their face, but it just took a bit longer, it took a few more hours um, because they didn't have that vocal cue to match um, match the face. Whereas the babies whose mums spoke to them like normal after they were born, they could recognise their face within an hour. The other babies took another three or four hours. So I think that, I don't know for sure, the research will still need to be done and undoubtedly there are um, researchers all over the world who are collecting this kind of data because it's such an important question that everyone wants the answer to. Um, but this understanding that having the mouth as part of the information is ideal, but it's not completely necessary um, but I think the takeaway is that children are resilient um, I do believe they will catch up um, and kids are sponges even as soon as they're born they figure it out and they find ways um, to understand and process when it comes to toddlers and older children um, language understanding lip reading is so important when it comes to um, speaking and understanding what other people are saying even if we don't know that we're doing it we, we process uh, mouth movements along with hearing um, so language um, understanding with masks that might be having some effects um, but still still a bit too early to say yeah and I think I mean don't quote me on this but I know for example childcare and in schools the teachers and educators are not wearing masks I think yeah. because of this fundamental reason that so many exactly. children would just struggle and find it extremely challenging to to learn Absolutely. so um, yeah, yeah that, that's obviously a really really good point that that you've um touched on the other question I wanted to ask uh, and you know this is another selfish question and for my my friends who have had um, babies during lockdown mm -hmm. we're used to 
going to mother's groups at around seven, eight, nine, ten weeks, interacting with other children of similar age and building those relationships from a very, yeah. very early stage. And they haven't had that opportunity, albeit um, I know mums have been given the opportunity to have online mother's groups, but as part of those mother's groups, it's the children that are interacting um, yeah. as well. And there's a lot of families out there that are missing out on that. And I think what I have definitely seen as the roll-on effect of that is, you know, post 12 months from our first lockdown, those mums are heading back to work, whether it be working from home or in an office when they can get to an office, not here in Melbourne at any time, but they've really struggled when they are trying to put their child in childcare because they're having severe separation anxiety. They're unsure about possibly how to interact with other children. What What are your any any recommendations? If, you know, if yeah. any. Um, and I guess I'm assuming this is pretty normal. If a, if a child is not socialized with other children, one would expect that they would be. Um, dealing with some separation anxiety and probably my like third point to that sorry is you know are there any mechanisms that parents can kind of utilize to ease their child into childcare or anything like that I mean these are such great questions Um, this was me so um, my little one he was three months old when our first lockdown hit Um, kind of that point I'd just come out of the newborn bubble I was ready to go out do the the um, leisurely. I mean, obviously, I, I learned quickly that that's not how it works. You can't go to a cafe and have a leisurely coffee. But no. this was my my don't, vision. Don't be ridiculous, yeah. Siobhan. Exactly. I, I have since learned that only happens the on the movies, right? Exactly. Exactly. But yes, I had all these visions of going out to cafes and uh, meeting with mums in my activewear and all these kind of things. Um, and then, yeah, the lockdown, and I was crushed. Um, and I had made this big long list of all of the um, music classes we were going to go to and the library sessions and all these things and they were gone. Um, and I really, really struggled emotionally with all of this support that I had lined up mm-hmm. that was not available. Mm-hmm. Um, I had gone to my first mother's group. Um, we had three more booked and they were all cancelled. Oh. Um, so it was really, really rough. Thankfully, the mums that we met at the first one, we decided to continue meeting separately outside of the um, facilitated group. Um, so we had a bit of connection once lockdown lifted, but it was really, really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only imagine in countries where the lockdown has been months and months and months long, um, multiple, and I mean, obviously, you guys are going through that for the whole time down in Melbourne. There's no easy answers. This situation is awful um, and it has such long, long-standing long flow-on effects that people are grappling with and, and really trying just to survive, let alone thrive. Mm. Um, when it comes to childcare, we ended up, my original plan was to wait until our little one was about two before we sent him to daycare. That was my preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up sending him early just because he really, uh, he's a very social uh, little boy and if he just really needed that contact that we couldn't get elsewhere. Um, mother's groups weren't available. The libraries were closed. 
Um, so we just decided that if we're paying for him to just play with people, then that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Um, and so he is, he's, so he goes two days a week. He still isn't brilliant with the transitions, I think, because he's just not as familiar um, being in those kinds of situations, exactly like you say. There's some really great resources. Um, Kimberly on Instagram, she's um, a psychologist child. She has an amazing course about um, separations, mm -hmm. uh, particularly with regarding uh, daycare. Um, she also has so many brilliant insights. So she's a, um, a child psychologist, has a little one of her own, um, and talks through um, separation anxiety, separations regarding childcare, um, and kind of a lot of the emotional uh, stuff that kids are going through, but also um, some really practical uh, solutions. It's not always possible, but because children don't have that kind of familiarization of other people and other adults, and particularly in that kind of close contact, um, we've been keeping 1.5 meter distance for mm. the last year and a half, almost two years really now, um, but it's not familiar. <laughs> It seems counterintuitive to hand your child off to another adult that yeah. you're supposed to keep your distance from. Yeah. Um, so, if if it's possible, trying to slowly introduce your child to daycare. I mean, obviously, not everyone can do this, but for the first, maybe put them in two or three months earlier than you might otherwise, and then drop them off for an hour, drop them off for an hour and a half the next day, two hours the next day, and really create a very slow transition to get them familiar. Because part of the reason they're reacting so strongly is that it's completely foreign to them. It's completely new. They don't have this experience that they otherwise would have had in a pre-COVID world of lots of contact with lots of different people. Mm -hmm. So kind of allowing that time and space. Um, having said that, that's not always possible for everyone for financial reasons or like even whether or not there's spots at childcare. Obviously, people are utilising childcare more than they otherwise would have. Oh, absolutely. I know there's some people who in my area, it's very difficult to get your child into one particular, like the favourite um, community childcare centre. And they've got newborns who they're paying for weekly just for like the first six months so they can keep their spot for when they finally when they finally actually start using it. So, yeah, the financial pressures I absolutely appreciate and it is yeah. it is so, so, so hard. There was it's crazy, right? Childcare was, was a problematic situation before the pandemic, yeah. let alone, like, it, yeah, there's, so, there's just so many layers upon layers of difficulties that the people are grappling with. Yeah. And I feel like there's almost like two schools of thought and it depends on your child. And even to some extent, it depends on the day. Um, yep. Because I know there's some people who are literally like, like throw and go, I call it. The th mm. <laughs> like throw your child yeah. in and go because you're like, if you linger too long, that's when like it starts the, like they're like, oh, you're staying. And then you're not yeah. staying and you've got to go so it makes it worse um that's never really worked for us yeah for us um and Eva in particular what I find is that uh 
we go in and we actually talk to the educators and the other kids. And it's almost like it's quite a strange thing because she's an extroverted child. But when Mm -hmm. it comes to those type of big group situations, she's so like her father. (laughs) He's great with one-on-ones, but in Mm -hmm. a big group situation, he's very much an observer and then he'll kind of work out the situation. She's 100% like that as well. And I find that I almost have to – bridge the gap between the children and the educators in the room and I talk to them oh how's your week been what's going on um how are you oh you know like just chatting what oh that's a nice book over there and it's almost like she goes okay mum's talking to these people they must be safe um you know okay, this is a safe space. She's building that connection for me. And then I kind of try to bring her in in the conversation and I'll say Mm -hmm. to her, tell so-and-so, what did we do yesterday? And something like that. So I've I've definitely noticed. But then I, like I have one of my best friends is a 100% throw and go parent. She's Mm -hmm. like, do not pass go, do not collect $200. You just need to get out of there straight away because otherwise her kids are complete meltdowns um so yeah but but with covid it's been so tricky because we've been in lockdown and for us it's been a choice to keep her out of childcare, even though it's available to us because we are in you know zones where there's been quite a few cases so and a lot of the children who go to our childcare, their parents actually work on the front line so they're in the hospitals system and things like that so having those extended periods of time where you're not in childcare and then you've kind of, it's almost like starting the transition again. Um, You get a little bit better each time, but yeah, it's still really, really, really hard. (laughs) And that's the thing. Like I think any kind of seasoned childcare parent will tell you, it's not that the situation gets easier. It's you get more, you get more familiar with it. Yes. 100%. Um, I was was chatting to my mom about this the other day and she, I'm one of five children. So she's a, She's a um, veteran parent, um, <laughs> and although she says that it's harder now that we're adults, because <laughs> you have all the advice, but they won't bloody well listen to it. <laughs> um, but she was saying that yeah, going to school, it's like when you send your child off to school for the first time, it's just as traumatic, but you're just a bit more used to it. It's yeah. still awful, but you know that it's a good, like, whereas the, obviously the first time you drop them off at daycare or school or whatever, it's heartbreaking yes there was definitely a lot of tears from everyone on that day yeah and like individual experiences some kids oh my child was a cheeky little one mind you that's him in a nutshell for the first three weeks of daycare he loved it and their transitions were seamless like he just went in and smiled at everyone and I and he started at 12 months and I was smug and patting myself on the back going oh I have such a well-adjusted child and then after three weeks I think he realized oh, wait, this isn't just a fun game that we're doing. Yeah. This, 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 this is happening. We keep on. We're doing this. Oh, more. we're doing this what? forever? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And then for four months, screaming every time. Oh, and the it, novelty going, had worn off. <laughs> it really had. And I'm there going, what? I'm like, this is your fault for being smart. Yeah. <laughs> this is your fault for thinking you knew it all. Um, but, I mean, yeah, exactly. Kids, kids react differently. And I'm... As you're saying, like it's, I don't, I really do, I'm not prescriptive about how it should happen because I mean, so many in this kind of parenting landscape, lots of people, particularly people who share evidence based research, 
I think, do fall into this trap of, well, the evidence says this, so you should do this. It's not how evidence works. It's not how science-based information works. The way science works is that you have a question, you observe the data, and then you describe what happened from that data set. Um, all that should be able to do is maybe inform us yeah. and be like, maybe with this information, this might work best for my child. There are always outliers. There are always groups of people that the data and that outcome doesn't apply to. The way, like the analogy that I always use is that the worldwide average height is five, point, uh, five feet six inches. Five feet six inches. There are lots of people that are taller than that and lots of people that are shorter than that. And just because that's the average doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with someone who's 6'3". Or someone who's 4'11". Like, there's nothing wrong with you. You didn't raise your child wrong because they grew tall or they grew short. It's just describing the general trend and it may or may not apply to you. Um, and I think that's so true when it comes to um, children in general, but particularly this kind of uh, dropping kids off at daycare, like different kids react differently. Yeah. Uh, my situation, I kind of actually do a bit of a mix between you and your friends. So um, we go in, we chat very briefly to everyone, we say hello. Um, I point out everyone, I make sure that he knows who his main carers are. We have a bit of a, a conversation, we sit down and we play with his friends and then um, I pass them off and I scoot pretty quickly out of there. It's heartbreaking because he usually cries. Um, but I know from my child, he recovers really quickly. Yeah. So I know that I've kind of done the thing where I peek out within about 40 seconds, he's calmed down. It's awful. I hate doing it because he's screaming for me. Yeah. But I, I know that it will be over in a flash. Yeah. And then he has a brilliant time. Yes. Um, so the first time that I actually experienced this was months and months and months ago, but he has a particularly wonderful relationship with my father-in-law. They are completely enamored with each other. Um, and he came to visit one day and then he left and went home. And my son lost it, like completely in the same way that he loses it when I leave. And then I screaming, reaching for it, so upset. And then within 45 seconds, he was back to his normal self. Mm. And it was so interesting because the, the um, educators at this daycare had always said, no, no, he recovers really quickly. And I'm going, you're lying. You're just saying that to make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I finally witnessed it myself, I went, oh. Oh, yeah. No, he really does. Yeah, he's resilient. He's got this. Yeah. He really is. Like, he's a, mind you, my own mother tells me that, well, what do you expect? I'm just like, you're the same. I feel feelings really intensely yep. for about 45 seconds. Yeah. And then I'm like, cool, the anger's out of the way. Is everyone, everyone's back on everyone's board? Everyone's good. Okay, yeah. carry on, everyone. So he takes after his mother in that particular way oh that's that's good i like it yeah. get it all out and then we can all just move on <laughs> totally. and, yeah and i mean and that's very like that's how it works for us and that works for my child obviously as you've described you have to do things a bit differently mm. so the research or how other people do it they're doing what works best for them yeah on that day yeah. in that situation yeah and of course it's so easy to compare and i'm completely guilty of it and maybe I should do it that way and maybe I should be doing it this way but you just really have to trust your gut and trust your responses and know that you're making the choices you're making for a reason um, and also giving yourself the grace and compassion when you do make mistakes because we're humans just in the same way our children are humans we stuff up but knowing that I made the best call I could in the moment it turns out it was the wrong one um, and then going I'll make a different choice tomorrow because tomorrow's a new day 
Absolutely. I couldn't agree more and that is essentially how we tackle everything at um, Fill Your Cup. It's just exactly right. You know, we are evidence-based and a lot of people kind of go, but what is that? What does that mean? Does that mean because that paper said X, I have to do X? It's like, well, no, not if you don't want to. It's all about making an informed decision based on the information that that you have on hand, um, you know, and not uh, not making a decision based on perpetuated myths and, uh, you know, bogus rubbish that you see on um, Instagram. So that's probably mm-hmm. one of my number one things that I always say to people is that, you know, if you see something on social media, which is, you know, where we get a lot of our information from now, and you think to yourself, oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Whether you're in the positive or the negative, ask them for the quote, ask them for mm. the research, ask them for the data, ask them where did they get that information from? Because, you know, there are people out there who just perpetuate their own personal opinion, which is based mm. off nothing. Um, so that would be my number one tip. And that's why essentially we are doing this podcast to debunk Mm -hmm. and demyth rubbish crap out there that, you know, poor mums who we, we believe are in a vulnerable kind of group. You're running off Mm -hmm. zero sleep. Um, you're in a highly influential state that is part of the newborn days as a mother and mm-hmm. so like we're biochemically, like your brain is yes. vulnerable by yep. design. Hundred percent be responsive to your child. Yeah. But then that that same system gets hijacked by targeted ads through your Instagram yep. and telling you that you need to do formula. There's nothing wrong with formula, but if that's not what you want to do, being spammed with I have to do this, I have to do that, my child will die, heaven forbid, if I don't do X, Y, and Z. Or I mean, I have so much research behind me and so many reasons. For us, why sleep training wasn't the right choice. My child had really severe reflux. So his, a lot of his cries were pain, not um, not protesting to not being asleep. So for us, sleep training wasn't an appropriate choice for our child. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that other people, if you do it, I don't feel negatively towards you. Like you do what works for you in the moment. But at being a severely sleep-deprived mother at 4 a.m. scrolling through Instagram because trying to just stay awake yeah um having my feed absolutely spammed with sleep training and sleep guides and you're failing your child because you're not teaching them the skill of self-soothing and me trying to go wait am i failing my child am i doing the wrong thing yeah and then the cognitive load of having to question and critique your choices yeah when you're operating on three hours sleep when you're operating on a body that's dosed to the hills with hormones Mm. it's just it's such a vulnerable state it is absolutely i couldn't agree more we are going to wrap up with our final two questions which are what if you have one and we've actually had someone say that they don't have one but what is your favorite mum hack Mm. i think pick your battles okay which isn't a hack per se but it's very much like a a mantra that I live by is that does this matter? Do I need to? So (laughs) we joke and people are usually horrified and there is a bit of a joke to it but there's much more uh, honesty behind it is that 
we don't have many rules. Um, there are some very specific rules. Don't hit people in the face. Sure. No, you don't get to play with kitchen knives. Um, despite my 18-month-old being obsessed with our kitchen knives. <laughs> we, we say, no, you don't get knives until you're four. Um, hopefully, <laughs> either, hopefully he'll be very proficient by the time he's four or we'll have changed our rule. Um, <laughs> but just really being like, does it matter that he's drinking the bath water? Yeah. No. Does it matter that he's shoving handfuls of soil down his pants? Probably no. not. Yeah. Um, just really trying to go with the flow and like as long as he's not hurting himself or anyone else um, or damaging property, it doesn't matter too much. I love it. I love that one. Um, and our final question is what do you have on your bedside table? Oh, so much junk. Um <laughs> I love the honesty. Some people are like, oh, I just have this and this. And I'm thinking, really? I was, there's like four glasses of water. Yes. um, Because I always bring a new one and then go, oh, I do have that. I do have that. Yeah, of course. I think one or two of them have a dead fly in them. (laughs) Um, I've got a bunch of photographs that my mum gave me of, She's she's decluttering her house now that her children are grown and she said, I've held this stuff for long enough. Here, here's five photos of you as a four-year-old. Now she's cluttering um, all your houses? or like, Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> because she, she can't bring herself to throw it out. Of course. But, <laughs> it's still there. She can get it back anytime. Exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, glasses of water, uh, my mouth guard because I grind my teeth. Oh, ditto. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, and a lamp. And a bunch of books that I have been meaning to read for the last 18 months. What is, okay, what's the first book that you're going to read when you actually get a moment to yourself? So I'm halfway through, speaking of converting to Buddhism. Yes. Um, I'm halfway through a book called Buddhism for Mothers. Oh. That I picked up when I was, but well before I was pregnant. Um, I think it was written in the late 90s. Yeah. Um, and in essence, it's not, I mean, it is Buddhism because this is Buddhism kind of versus this practice, but it's basically, it's just mindfulness. It's okay. what we know nowadays is mindfulness, um, but in the 90s it was new age and hippie. Yeah, um, <laughs> crystals so, yeah. and incense. <laughs> exactly. It's just it's all of those Buddhist practices about being mindful, being in the moment, accepting that things are outside of our control, um, accepting that our expectations and how we think things should be is where a lot of our suffering comes from. Um, our expectations of things versus the, the reality of things. Um, so, yeah, I'm halfway through it. It's a great book. Um, I'll let you know how the other half goes. I, I love it. And another three years' time. <laughs> I love it. You're so realistic. Another two, three years. I got this. I love it. I love it. I love it. Look, it has, as I said, I could talk to you for hours. Um, this has been such a great chat. Thank you so much for making time on such short notice. Normally I give people like two, three weeks notice. Um, so you were very, very accommodating when I said, hey, let's have a chat like on Monday. And I think it was oh. like Thursday. <laughs> no, my, with, with my business, my, my motto is just yes. Say yes. If it's scary, say yes. Say yes. Deal with it later. The repercussions later. I love it. Awesome. Mind you, that's parenting, right? You just have to be like, uh, yep, let's do it. Yeah, sure. 100%. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, Siobhan. It has been an absolute pleasure. I don't think this is going to be the last time that we have a chat. I hope not. Um, but all the best in Brisbane. And, um, yeah, thank you very much. Thanks, Renee. 
If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.